0: we are live episode 79 keep on keeping on baby business and buckets we got fights we got playoff basketball we got a little bit of baseball we got every little bit of thing for your sports need this past week and uh before we talk sports i'm going to talk to one and only sponsor here at business and buckets that's fueled supplements rocking one of their their clothing jerseys Their little workout jerseys to get some flare while you're at the gym. Um, You know, it's 2022. It's still early in the new year, and summer is right around the corner. That means less clothing and bathing suit days on the water. Summertime will be here before you know it. Get your summertime shine with fueled supplements, advanced thermogenic, and feel-good formula Showtime. Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. Besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. For optimal results, you guys can stack it with Counterattack. Get yours exclusively at FueledSupplements.com and save some money when you're doing it. Promotion code Buckets, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. You know, check them out. They got some swag. They got your subs. Josh is doing a lot of cool things there. And don't forget to tune into his business episode featuring Josh Morin to hear his story and what brought him to the supplement biz. Um, you know, love supporting small business. Instead of going to GNC, help the small businesses out. Now, <clears throat> a little raspy today, just recovering from a head cold. Went to San Diego, San Diego this past weekend, 70 and sunny. You know, it's been gray and cloudy here in Seattle. I was just kind of dragging ass. And it gave me the jump start on life, you know. I just felt great. People were happy. Vibes were great. Living that beach life, getting some some ocean. We did a little like sailboat booze cruise. Did a lot of fun things. It was just nice to get out of the city for a few days. But came back. Um, wasn't sure if I was super hungover or what. But battled some sort of head cold. Took a COVID test. Was COVID negative. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah, you know, a little late to the party this week. It's Friday. Usually filming this Wednesday or Thursday, uh, but could barely speak yesterday, so didn't want to do that to you guys. Um, But we're going to jump right in with the UFC. We had a fight night card last weekend. I ended up watching the recap. I didn't watch it live because I had some sunshine to do a little bit better than the card that was delivered. And then we have another smaller fight night card this week, one more the next week, and then the massive UFC card to start May off Cinco de Mayo weekend. So, let's start off with some fights that have been announced. We have Brad Tavares versus Drikus Duplessis. Um, everyone was calling him Drikus Duplessis, And uh, um, Ariel Hawani asked him on the MMA MMA Hour, how do you actually say it? Drikus Duplice. Um He's had a couple fights in and out. He was supposed to fight um, uh, Kevin Kelvin Gastelum recently, which would have been a sick fucking fight. Didn't happen, but now he gets Brad Tavares. Excited to see him, Gracie Octagon. And, uh, you know, Brad, after being off for so long, it's going to be great to see him in there as well. Massive thing because I'm turning 30 this summer. You know, my life's coming to an end. I'm having a midlife crisis. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, the 30th is kind of a big deal. It's the first birthday I've been excited about. I'm bringing my good friends that are willing to come and don't have Fourth of July plans to Vegas for a short trip to catch UFC 276. And I said, What if, what if this fight could happen? Dana White teases me. I hope I'm not getting blue balls. But Stipe Miocic supposedly offered the interim title fight with John Jones for UFC 276. I've seen two UFCs live. One was International Fight Week with John Jones versus Tiago Santos. What a fucking introduction. One was previously this December, watching uh, Sean O'Malley, Raulian Pava, uh, the Jessica, um, or uh, the uh, Amanda Nunez upset fight. So um, to be able to catch three, two of them featuring John Jones, can I get an amen? Can I get a hiya? Um, we also have Cody Stamen versus Eddie Wineland. Uh, Eddie Wineland, notoriously known for the um. The knockout by Sugar Sean. Cody Stamen struggling, uh, coming off a few losses. A guy that, you know, isn't a main card type sell, a very wrestler-oriented fighter. But both fighters looking to get momentum. That's going to be a fun fight. Jarzinho Rosenstrike versus Alexander Volkov. He was supposed to fight on a card a couple weeks ago as well. It didn't happen. So now he's going to take on the veteran Volkov. That will be must-see TV. Christos Giagos versus Tiago Moises. Uh, guys that have shown some flashes of some really good potential as future mainstayers in this division. So that's going to be a hype fight. Uh, Garam Kutadzi versus Demir Ismogulov. Uh, Demir's been you know, on the shelf for a little while, so it'll be great to see him back in the octagon. Tagir Bekov versus Tyson Nam for the small guys. Chris Curtis, Action Man Curtis, versus Rodolfo Vieira, uh, some veterans. That'll be a fun one. Dustin Jacoby versus Da'un Jung, as Dustin keeps moving up the ranks. Court McGee, the tough alum, versus Jeremiah Wells. Uh, recent tough alum, Sean Gore versus Josh Fremd. And then the super hyped up Muhammad Mukayev, right back in there, taking on LFA champ Charles Johnson. Supposedly all the fighters in featherweight were turning him down. Massive, massive flyweight fight. Askar Askarov right back in there after the loss. Um, he's going to take Alex Perez. That'll be a fun fight. On the women's side of thing, we have Aaron Blanchfield versus J.J. Aldridge. Uh Neil Magny, it seems like this man's always active. He's taking on Shavat Rachmanov, who is a hyped-up prospect who's on a nice little winning streak of his own. Another big woman's fight. Holly Holm back in action, taking on Ketlin Vieira. Cynthia Cavillo taking on Nina Nunez, the other half. And then uh, Wellington Turman's pulling out against his fight against Julian Marquez. Motherfucking RoboCop stepping in. Um, Gregory, uh, Gregory Rodriguez. And then this weekend, Manel Cop withdraws from the fight. It was stated due to personal reasons, but it looks like it's going to be a failed USADA test. Uh, I forget the drug that had pulled on there, but uh, super bummer. That flyweight fight was going to be awesome, and it was just moved to the main card. We were going to break that fight down, but, you know, it is what it is. Another bummer as Robert Whitaker is out versus Marvin uh, Vittori. It looks like maybe um, the hell's his name. The, 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 the guy who has excuses on wine that balloons up, uh, Paula Costa's interested in that fight. So that might be interesting as well. Um, and then I'm going to pull this man up. Magic Marlon Marias calls it a career. What a fucking career. What a fighter. Every time Marlon was on a card, I had to tune in to see his fights, especially cause he fought in the bantamweight division, which is just fucking full of studs. Um, but this is a guy who you know who'd been in so many battles his chin was gone perfect time to retire potentially could have done it a fight earlier uh, but he probably had some some time on his contract I mean this guy demolished world series of fighting went through a lot of names there including Jason J- Jason Hill or excuse me Josh Hill and Tyson Nam came in the UFC at 2017 lost to Rafael Sun in a split decision went on a tear uh, beating John Donson, knocking out Aljamain Sterling, the now USC bantamweight champion, knocking out Jimmy Rivera, submitting a Sun Tso in the rematch, getting a shot at Henry Cejudo, taking a loss, beating Jose Aldo, and then it just went to shit in October of 2020. Four straight losses, Corey Sanhagen, Rob Font, Mirab Deshvili, and Song Yadong all via finish. Uh, but this man had 23 wins. He was a must-see TV uh, it was just fucking shredded. So, um, you could tell after his last fight, he put his gloves in the octagon. That was probably it. But bravo, take a bow, Marlon Motherfucking Murayez. Uh, Chase Sherman, this guy, Chase Sherman and Kay Hansen released from the UFC two days later. Sherman resigns as Alexander Romanov needs an opponent as his um uh pulls out due to injury so chase sherman a guy who's already been in and out of the ufc is back in he gets life and this is a must win fight we'll break that down here uh momentarily and then dan hardy is going to have a boxing fight against the og of all ogs diego sanchez july 2nd 4th of july weekend um you know it'll be interesting but i don't expect a lot of quality in that performance This past weekend, outside of the UFC, Bellator 277 went down. And really, the main event and the co-main event were what were interesting to me. Well, Patricio Pitbull got revenge. He defeats AJ McKee in the rematch. Huge win for Patricio. I actually picked Patricio in the first fight. And then Corey Anderson takes on Vadim Nemkov. This was probably when they had the light heavyweight Grand Prix announced. The most stoked I was for a fight. And it was a no contest because of an accidental headbutt. Was definitely accidental. He went to go throw some hammer fist down, but it looked like Corey Anderson was controlling the fight. Um, and then Aaron Pico also defeated Adley Edwards. Aaron Pico looking like a stud in Bellator. This Wednesday they had the PFL. Jeremy Stevens taking on Clay Collard, and Clay won in a slugfest. You could see uh, Jeremy Stevens' face. He said that he could beat everyone up in the division, but def- you know, props to Clay Collard. Um, as he takes the dub in the PFL. So some fun action happening outside the UFC. you love to see it, but we're going to break down the UFC fight night. I went three and two in picks in this card. So not amazing, uh, but we'll dive right into it. Give me one second. Ah, all right. In the prelims, Drakar close. Welcome back Drakar with a second-round TKO over Brandon Jenkins. This got a performance of the night award. And this had to have been such a big breath of fresh air for Dakar after losing to, you know, in my mind, one of the best fighters on the roster, Benil Dariush, that he was out after trying to get a fight back against Jeremy Stevens, right, the infamous shoving ex- incident. So he hasn't fought since March of 2020. And this was all fucking Dakar close and Jenkins looked over a match from the get-go. Honestly, I think this could have been finished in the first as Brandon was completely rocked, but to give Brandon credit, uh, this motherfucker could take some hits. When we look at the stats, Jakar landed 77 total and 76 significant strikes with two takedowns uh, and two knockdowns compared to Brandon's 28 total and 18 significant. Drakar starts a new winning streak while Brandon drops his second fight in a row. And he's obviously st- still searching for his first UFC win. So what's next? Um, Chakar's tough. He's a tough bitch. Him being back, you know, is not going to be uh, something that the, the, the fighters in the lightweight division are going to be excited for. I would love him to take on Mike Davis or Ignacio Baja Mondes who just fought recently. Those would be fucking fun. And for Brandon, how about Charlie Antaveros to get him back in the octagon? On the woman's side, what a fight this was. Penny Kianzad with unanimous decision over Lena Landsberg. And this was a lot better fight than the Drakar fight. Uh, Penny continued to show off her clean striking. Uh, she got into some grappling matches with Lena. And the elbow queen was able to get in some clinch situations. And she landed a huge elbow on, on, on like a shove off of the clinch. And it definitely rocked Penny. But that was the best shot Lena landed. Penny took it like a champ. Panny's tough as they come and that was right at the end of the second round but panty was saved by the bell a little bit now i was surprised to see the toughness of Lena. a woman at 40 years old to be able to fight like that take those shots i mean it is very impressive but panty got the best of her again they fought previously in 2012 um, but i was very impressed by the showing of Lena. Statistically, Lena landed 64 total and 39 significant strikes and a knockdown compared to Panny's 109 total and 78 significant strikes with a takedown. So quite lopsided statistically, you know, clearly a unanimous decision. Lena is now on a two fight losing streak and she moves down one spot in the rankings to number 12 while Panny starts a new winning streak and she's won five of her last six and goes up two spots to number 10. So what's next? I think uh, for Panny, either Yana Kuniskaya or the loser of the Misha Tate-Lauren Murphy fight would be great. And for Lena, if she keeps on fighting, maybe Carol Rosa, who just took a loss, would make sense. And then we had the big boys. Devin Clark with a third round, t- or a third round knockout over William Knight. And this really came down to William not being able to be a very good wrestler and his ability to take uh, on the wrestling to defend it, to defend the takedown. And William's a big some bitch. They were talking about his weightlifting numbers. I mean, this guy is straight jacked. Uh, but when you get taken down, that's very tiring on you. You know, you let Devin go to work with some ground and pound. He landed some big shots. And in the third, he just wore on him. He was able to get in a very impressive uh, finish, landed a knee, rocked him, landed some shots, and uh, welcome to the heavyweight division. Both of these guys have been up and down throughout their career. You know, Devin expended a lot of energy as well. Um, he went in for a guillotine attempt in the second. William did. And those big-ass biceps, you could see him shaking his head like, damn it, I'm gassing my arm out. Um, I think that was a probably a bad decision if you were to look back at it. Uh, But it was a fun fight. William fought hard. Devin landed 125 total and 34 significant strikes. He had two takedowns and five attempts and a knockdown compared to William's 39 total and 21 significant with a takedown and two submission attempts. So quite lopsided. William was fighting off his back quite a bit. Now, Devin starts a new winning streak with his first win at the heavyweight division. Uh, He has two straight losses at light heavyweight prior while William's on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since December of 2021. So for next for these guys, I'd like to see Devin either take on Andre Orlovsky, the veteran, the pit bull, or Shamil Akimov, and for William, maybe Jared Vandera, who we just saw grace the octagon as well. And that got us to the main card. We had Andre Fialho with the first-round knockout over Miguel Baeza Be- And this was a performance of the night. You know, I did pick Devin, Dakar, and Panny, so looked good there. But here I did pick um, Miguel, and this did not quite pay out. You know, this was a lot quicker than the other fights. And in my opinion, the biggest win in Andre's young UFC career. I honestly thought Beza looked better throughout the round, but Fialho got him in the clinch and landed massive uppercuts. You don't see a lot of the time where a guy gets someone in the clinch and just starts throwing. You would think it would be easy for that guy to get away, you know, do some sort of move to get the clinch off. Um, but people forget you can land some nasty shots. And I think Miguel uh, won't ever forget that. And I think he was probably a little shocked at the circumstances that he was in. Because um, he was smooth. He had nice footwork, was light on his feet, in and out against Fialho. Fialho looked kind of just like stone footed. Uh, but he's got some power behind his shots. He was missing on big shots, loopy shots, but those uppercuts and the fucking clinch got the job done. And debatably, it could have been called early because as Miguel got set down, he's kind of like halfway rocked, went into a takedown attempt to grab his leg. To a fighter's defense, if you are moving forward trying to get that, you should get some seconds to try to you know reinvigorate yourself. But he got so fucked up. I'm not upset with the decision. You know, I don't I don't think it was a bad stoppage, but Debatably, could have gave him some more time. I don't think it would have changed the course of the fight. I think this was pretty early in the round, if I remember. Um, Statistically, it only took 32 total and significant shots for Fialho with the knockdown compared to Miguel's 24 total and significant. So now Andre starts a new winning streak. He's just an even one and one in the UFC. Miguel starts a three-fight losing streak. And, you know, it's not trending in a very good direction for him. So what's next for Miguel? I could see Nicholas Dalby and for Andre. How about Alex Murano who just fought? That makes sense to me. And then the main event, another missed uh, predicted fight. And I would have never guessed it would have went this way, but the bully Bilal Muhammad with a unanimous de- decision over Vicente Luque. And uh, Muhammad's a bully. I mean, that's what he's been doing. He's just so big. And he just bullies fighters with his wrestling, his ground and pound. He grinds you out. He sticks to his strengths. He doesn't try to do too much. And compared to the first fight, he just kept circling. So, you know, if you're Vicente, you have you could do one of two things. You can make it the fight. You could bring the fight to, to Muhammad on the edge of the cage. Or you could just let him keep circling and wait for him to do something. Then you guys are just going to sit there. So I'm glad that he didn't do that. But that's a tough loss for Vicente, who is moving his way up to the title shot. Because, uh, you know, Muhammad would wait him, come for something, then he'd land his own shots or go for the takedown. Um, so good game plan. You know, Bilal's doing exactly what he needs to do to win fights, so props to him. I just don't think Vicente was aggressive enough. And it was hard because if Vicente wanted to do big combos, like instead of a nice one-twos get out while Bilal's circling, one-two get out, you try a one, two, three, four, Bilal's going for the takedown. So I think that affected the fight quite a bit and he was worried about that, so he lost some aggressiveness, and he was definitely fighting for a five-round fight, which is good, but he let those early rounds slip away from him, and then he was just behind on the scorecards. Statistically, Vicente landed 102 and 84 significant strikes compared to Bilal's 136 and 60 significant, and he had five takedowns, a little 50% out of 10 attempts, so Vicente did do well defending later in the fight. Uh, Vicente has won a... Uh, has his four fight winning streak come to an end and he moves down one spot in the rankings to number six while Bilal is in the midst of a seven fight winning streak. And he had the no contest in Leon Edwards. I thought Leon was, was cruising to victory there, uh, but he moves up one spot to number five and the bully keeps proving people wrong, man. I'd love to see the bully take on Gilbert Burns. He would probably get bullied in that fight, but I've been wrong before. And I'd love to see Vicente rematch Steven Wonderboy Thompson. That'd be a pure striking match. That's what Steven wants. Please let it happen. Or maybe Mr. Jorge George Masvidal. What a decent little card. Uh, the bully surprised me for sure. So this Saturday, Manana, this will come out right before it. A 6 p.m. Pacific main card start. In the prelims, we have Marcin Prachino, the 33 year old fighter with a 15 and 5 record, taking on Felipe Monstro Linz, 36 years old, with a 14 and 5 record. Now, these are some big boys, right? They're hard hitters. They're going to look to get back on track, gain some momentum, as they're kind of in the slumps right now. Marcin is a black belt in Kaioshin Kai Karate and a blue belt in BJJ. He came over from one championship where he was an interim champion. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is one and three in the UFC. And eleven of his fifteen wins are via knockout. Four of his five losses are via knockout as well. To knockout or to be knocked out. <laughs> uh, Felipe is a black belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator and PFL alum. He is zero and two in the UFC. Uh, you know he won the PFL, went through that circuit, earned the contract. And much like Marcin, eight of his 14 wins are via knockout. Four of his five losses are via knockout. So to knock out or to be knocked out. Uh, He does have a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. He was off for a year and a half after winning the PFL. He hasn't fought two years since he lost to Tanner Boser. So again, these guys are trying to get some traction, get things going. It's debatably a must-win if they want to have a long-lasting career. And this is a tough fight to pick. I've gone back and forth on it. I am going to go with the younger fighter who's been more active of late. I am taking Marcin Prachino, but I am not putting him in a parlay if I can, uh, you know, resist. <clears throat> then we have Tyson Pedro, thirty years old with a seven and three record, taking on Isaac the Hurricane Villanueva, thirty-eight years old with an eighteen and thirteen record. Now. These are some big boys again. It's a young fighter looking... Oh, shit. My audio cut out. This is a young fighter looking to get his feet grounded in the UFC versus a veteran who's been there. He's desperate for a win. So it should make for a good matchup. Tyson, when we look at his background, he's got black belts in Japanese jiu-jitsu, Kempo Karate, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've always wondered... You know, I've only grown up with one form of jujitsu, how these guys have so many forms of jujitsu. Where's it coming from? Why they learn those other arts. That's something as the MMA side of my podcast develops. I'd like to learn more about and get more educated on like, what is, you know, what's the difference between Japanese jujitsu and BJJ? Now he does have a six inch reach advantage in this fight. He's two and three in the UFC. And he's on a two-fight losing streak and has been out for four years. And he hasn't won since February of 2018. He went through some knee reconstruction, had a bout, it pulled out. So now he is back <coughs> tomorrow. He weighed in. He's got to be pumped. Isaac, he's an orthodox fighter. He has fought in Bellator. He previously fought, fought in Fury FC. He's 1-4 in the UFC. And 15 of his 18 wins are via knockout. And seven of his 13 losses are via knockout. Five of those via submission. I think this will be a close fight like the other heavyweight banger. But again, I like the youth. I'm going with the younger Tyson. I am avoiding a parlay. Actually, you know what? I'll put Tyson on that parlay. And we marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. All right, all right. Now we enter the main card. The main card, because of a fight pulling out previously, was supposed to be um, the Sue Mudari fight and Manel Cop, we we're going to break that down. I picked Manel Cop, but, uh, supposedly Manel Cop's been a bad boy. Uh, let's see what the update is. That Let's see. 21 hours ago. Uh, Pico issue. Oh boy. Let's see if they a long-term metabolite of D-hydrocromil, DHCMT and anabolic steroid. So um, he's debating it. It might be a picogram situation, which I'm not going to necessarily blame the fighter, um, but we'll see what happens with that. Bummer, bummer for sure. So now that gives us Macy, the future barber, 23 years old with a nine and two record. And she rocks the number 14 next to her name versus montana not the state but montana de la rosa 27 years old with a 12 6 and 1 record it's so crazy as women's ufc develops you forget macy's fucking 23 years old and she has all this experience montana seems like she's a true vet been fighting forever which she has with 19 fights but she's only 27 they're not even in their prime yet uh but this is an interesting matchup should be very competitive You know, Macy's looking to get a a little bit back on track. She's got a karate background with a second degree black belt. She also has a purple belt in BJJ. And she trains out of Team Alpha Male. She's fought in the LFA. She won with uh, her contract being a Dana White Contender Series alum. She's 4-2 in the UFC and is currently on a one-fight winning streak. Five of her nine wins are via knockout. You know, she was the girl that came in, kicked ass, I gave her a high-level fight, didn't quite handle it. Now she's working her way back in, needs that experience. Insert Montana. Now she trains at a team elevation. She has a brown belt in BJJ. She's a tough alum. That stands for the ultimate fighter, which starts soon, and I'm fucking jacked. Uh, she's on a one-fight winning streak and, getting, uh, and also had the draw in 2021. And eight of her 12 wins are via submission. Now, I believe that Macy is going to be a great contender. I really do. As she gets experience, she already is. Um, Montana's no slump. I I like Montana. Uh, But I think her striking is going to get the job done. Uh, I'm referring to Macy here. I think she's just a little bit better striker. I'm going to take Macy. We putting her on that parlay. We marking it down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Lando. Imagine having uh, your name or your parents grace you with the name Lando. We got Lando, nicknamed Groovy Venata. Lando with a nickname Groovy. Shit's crazy. He's 30 years old with a 12, 5 and 2 record, taking on Charles Air Jordan, 26 years old with a 12, 4 and 1 record. Again, this is a very closely skilled fight. I do expect this one to be a banger. So a lack of big names, but some pretty evenly, you know, leveled fights on this card. Lando trains out of Jackson's a- MMA Akoma. He's a brown belt in BJJ. He's a D one wrestling. He has a D one wrestling background at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and he's a, on a one fight winning streak and is two and three in the UFC and has won two of his last three. <laughs> Five of his 12 wins are via submission as well. Meanwhile, Charles, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak and has also won two of his last three. And eight of his 12 wins are via knockout. Again, close fight. I've been back and forth. But I'm going with the airman. I'm going with Charles Jourdain. I'm avoiding the parlay if necessary. Lack of options on this card, though. And then this guy, still motherfucking fighting clay the carpenter guida 40 years old with a 37 and 18 record sheesh Could you imagine fighting professionally let alone all the amateur fights 55 fucking times he's taking on claudio el nino Poyes, 25 years old with a 12 and 2 record you know as Clay keeps fighting, it's just another young buck on his re- resume. He gets the young buck while the carpenter is on his final legs of his Hall of Fame UFC career. Clay, as we all know, is an orthodox fighter. He trains at trains at a team alpha male. He's a tough alum, a strike force WEC vet. What hasn't he done? Uh, he's on a one fight winning streak. He was two and one in the UFC in 2021. Last year, two and one at 40 years old. 14 of his 37 wins are via knockout and 10 of his 21 losses are via submission. Claudio, he trains out of Sanford MMA, bunch of fucking dogs over there. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He's a tough Latin America alum. He's on a four fight winning streak and he's four and one in the UFC and six of his 11 wins are via submission. So, you know, he's probably going to look to get the submission game going against Guida. When I look to pick this fight, I'm not really sure where to go. Guida's looked better than you'd ever expect after all that wear and tear at 40 years old. And Claudio has been impressive this far. He hasn't fought the names like Guida. I bet against Guida in the last fight, thinking that he's just too old. He's over the over the hill. And I'm not making that a mistake again. I'm fucking going with the Carpenter. I'm not ballsy enough to put him in the parlay if I can avoid it. But I'm going with the Guida. And then the late fill-in fight. We got Chase "The Vanilla Gorilla" Sherman, 32 years old with a 15 and 9 record, taking on Alexander "King Kong" Romanov, 31 years old with a 15 and 0 record, spotless. <clears throat> now Chase, like we said, is he was a late fill-in. He was cut from the UFC right before this. Um you know he's in full blown desperation mode if he wants to save his UFC career. Maybe he doesn't. You know you never know with these guys. They don't make enough money. He might be over it. Romanov is an undefeated fighter and looking to climb up the ranks in heavyweight, um, as he's only 31 years old, just entering his prime. Chase, he's an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Sanford MMA. He does have a purple belt in kickboxing, a blue belt in BJJ. And he's definitely had a rocky UFC career after already leaving and coming prior to this. He's only 3-8 and eight in the UFC. He is on a three-fight losing streak. 14 of his 15 wins are via knockout, but four of his nine losses are via knockout as well. And he does have a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Alexander, he's got a wrestling background. He won the UWW, UW, whatever that means, Grappling European Bronze Medal. He's 4-0 in the UFC. Six of his 15 wins are via knockout. Eight of his 15 wins are via submission. And he trained at uh, Eagles FC. I do believe, though, that Alexander, in his prime with the wrestling background, which hasn't suited Chase well, is going to continue to stay undefeated. He's like a minus 500 or maybe more. Uh, I expect him to get the job done. We putting him on his parlay if the odds aren't too crazy and affects the parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And then the main event, Amanda Lemos, 34 years old, with an 11-1-1 record and the number 10 next to her name, taking on Jessica Bateastaka Andraj, 30 years old, with a 22-9 record and the number 1 next to her name. Now, both fighters have moved down to straw weight. They've been up and down in weights. But I believe Andraj is levels ahead of Limos. Limos, she is on a five-fight winning streak and is 5-1 in the UFC. 7 of her 11 wins are via knockout, which is very impressive in women's MMA. And she does have a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Jessica, she's got a black belt in BJJ. She just went from flyweight back up to strawweight. She's on a one-fight winning streak after going through the gauntlet. She fought Rose, lost, fought Waylay, Lost, fought Rose again, won, fought Caitlyn uh, Ch- Chukagian, lost, and Valentina, lost. Like, the best of the fucking best. She's Yoel Romero for the women's UFC. Nine of her 22 wins are via knockout, and four of her nine losses are via knockout as well. I really like uh, Jessica in this fight. I think she's going to be way too aggressive. She's not going to let Lemos get comfortable and, and, and pick her out, Um, just strike her up. I'm going to go with Jessica. We putting her on that parlay. We marking it down and we get in that bread. Decent little card, very competitive fights. Probably won't watch it live. Probably will for sure. Look at the recap. That's what's nice about ESPN plus, but up next, we got a decent fight night card next Saturday with the earlier start. It's a 4 p.m. Pacific start and it's headlined in the bantamweight division Rob Font versus Cheeto, Marlon, Vera. And then the shit goes down in May. Fights on fights on fights. There's always, you know, watchable fights. I like to break down the fights. I am, you know, at least fighters that I'm somewhat well-versed on. I like to follow. But also fights that I think are worth watching. I'm not going to break down fights that I have no clue about or like, ah, those, you know, very lopsided, so on and so forth. But now we're going to talk playoff fucking basketball. I got my angel shit on, not my jazz shit, (sighs) because we're witnessing the end, my friends. Fellow Utah jazz fans, we're witnessing the end. Regardless, in the NBA, the viewership is up 19%. Uh, Rudy Gobert gets shafted. They get voter fatigue on DPLY. They give it to Marcus Smart. You know, bravo to Marcus Smart. I thought Bridges was a little more deserving, but Marcus has been a dog since day one. I enjoyed him a lot more in college. He just flops too much and talks too much shit for me to enjoy him in the NBA. As a professional, when you're flopping like that all the time, I just can't take you seriously. Um, But he's the first guard to win this award since 1996. So for all the guards everywhere, you know, bravo. They're happy for him. Lots of injuries this playoffs. Uh, Devin Booker gets hurt game two, doesn't come back, is officially out at least games three and four. Huge loss for the Suns which opens up the West for anybody. So as a Jazz fan, you're like, oh, no, Luka Doncic, let's sweep the fucking Mavs, move in, potentially beat the Bookerless Suns. Can't even do that. Well, even worse news for the Jazz fans, Luka is expected back on Saturday for game four. Robert Williams is close to return for Boston, which is huge for them. Um, Supposedly, supposedly, Ben Simmons might return. Um, So both teams getting a player come back even though Ben Simmons hasn't even played for the Nets yet. Uh, We already had the discussion, do you even play him? I would say mostly as a defensive guy, but yeah, who knows? Uh, Middleton officially out for the series versus the Bulls and could miss more time. That series is 1-1. Somehow Chi-Town went into Milwaukee and took care of business. And uh, the Hornets fire coach James Borrego, no surprise there. But uh, this field is as open as I've ever seen, and it's going to be interesting to see how things shake up. A lot of teams lost home court advantage. Uh, It's going to be fucking fun. Let's go um, and revert back to last week, though, when we finished talking about basketball on Wednesday as we had some play-in games finish up in the beginning of round one take shape. We had the Hawks destroy the Hornets. They put up 132, which is no surprise because the Hornets can't spell defense. I thought the Hornets might have a shot without um, John Collins, to be honest, but uh, apparently it didn't matter. Uh, Clint Capella also went out for the Hawks. He, he did play in this game. Um, the Hawks were led by DeAndre Hunter, who had 22-7. Um, Capella had 15-17, and 17 and Trey Young had 24 on 24 shots. He was 1-7 from 3. 11 assists. But it was enough, enough as the Hornets were led by LeAngelo Ball. Not LeAngelo, Jesus. LaMelo Ball, 26-8. and eight. Uh, That was on 25 points. So playoff basketball is just a little di- bit different. You know, the Hawks did shoot 50% as a team from three. The Hornets 31%. But they're stars with very inefficient lines trying to do too much. That was pretty much a blowout from the get-go. And this game was pretty closely contested. I had actually picked the Pelicans to win. They beat the Spurs one thirteen to one oh three to earn a spot. Um, the Pelicans uh, were led by Brandon Ingram, who had twenty seven and uh, five. Valensius had twenty two and fourteen, and CJ McCollum with thirty two seven and six, an efficient line, three of five from three. You love to see it. Uh, the Spurs were led by hey, a guy that you wouldn't expect, but uh, Devin Vassell, who had twenty three. Um, DeJounte Murray had 16, nine and five on 19 shots a day to be forgot for him. Although he just recovered from an injury, there was no games Thursday on Friday. Um, the Hawks won the Pelicans win. So they had to play the losers of the other games to in a spot. Well, the Hawks beat the Cavs one Oh seven to one Oh one. Um, really the big difference here was the Hawks, uh, couldn't shoot from three. Um, but the Cavaliers turned the ball over too much, and Trey Young willed his team to victory. He had thirty-eight and nine, a more efficient line that was on twenty-five shots. Bogdanovich had nineteen off the bench, and the Cavs were led by uh, Laurie Markkinen, who had twenty-six and eight, six of twelve from three. And Darius Garland only had twenty-one on twenty-seven shots. He was one of seven from three with nine assists. You shut down Garland. The hot, you know, the Cavs don't have enough resources to go to without Sexton. And then the surprise for me was the Clippers not making it, but there was no Paul George in this game, which was very, very huge for them. No Kawhi, no Paul George. I mean, that's tough to overcome. So the Pellys get in. They beat the, the, the Clippers 105 uh, 101. Brandon Ingram continues to shred with 36 and 6. 30.6 30. rebounds, 6 assists. And the Clippers were led by Reggie Jackson, who had 27, 7 and 8. Um, and Morris, who had 27 and 9. Both shot the ball, three ball pretty well. Uh, but, you know, the deficit of PG was too much to overcome. And I thought even though the Clippers, in my prediction, would be the eight seed, um, the Pelicans earned it. It would be a very tough game for the Suns as a 1-8 and potentially could be, you know, potential upset. Um, and the Clippers didn't make it, but the Pelicans have played the Suns very well this far. Now no Devin Booker. So let's start at the start around one on Saturday. You know, I'm waking up to... Uh, uh, Jazz Mavericks, they still game one. I'm feeling good. It wasn't pretty, though. They won 99-93. to 93. Again, it is in Dallas, but again, no Luka Doncic. If you are a true contender and a guy that watches the Jazz as close as anyone, this team has the potential. They have a deep enough roster. They have the star power enough. And I know the small ball bullshit's been the issue, but that's why they get Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay is not even in the rotation. Okay, what about Pascal? Pascal's not even in the rotation. Uh, but game one was led by Donovan Mitchell, Spida gets 32, six and six. Wasn't the most efficient line on 29 shots. And Bogdanovich with uh, 26 points um, on 20 shots, a little bit more efficient. The jazz only shot 31% from three, but they held the Mavs to 28%. The Mavs were led by Spencer Dinwiddie. Nice addition for, for the Mavs 22 and eight and Jalen Brunson looking like a Nova stud 24, seven and five. Although it was on 24 shots. So Utah stills home court. They they still game one. Um, jazz fans are thinking sweep. Get them motherfucking brooms out. Um, as Luka probably at the earliest wasn't going to play until, you know, game four or five. Didn't catch this game. I was in San Diego on a booze cruise. Uh, but the Timberwolves straight up stomp the Grizzlies in Memphis. They hold the Grizzlies to 25.9% from three. They're not a heavy three-point shooting team. Um, but they don't shoot very well from the the line at 74% or from the field at 45%. And the T-WO's were led by Anthony motherfucking Edwards. Looking like the best version of himself. He puts up 36-6, 4 of 11 from 3. Carl Anthony Towns with 29-13. and 13. So the two dogs do, do doggy-style tricks in Memphis. Memphis um, was led by John Morant. It's nice to see him back. He was 32-8. and eight. On 18 shots, a pretty efficient game from him. And Dylan Brooks, nice to see him back. 24 points, 3 of 4 from 3. But it wasn't enough. So, I, you know, I, I look at this, I'm like, damn, like, can they pull this shit off? Like, that'd be crazy. I'm telling you, wide open. The field is wide the fuck open. Like, Montana, Wyoming-style fields. Acreage, baby. Um, And then, uh, not such a, such a surprising game. Uh, you would expect Philly to handle business in, ga- in Philly game 1. Should be a tight series, though. Well, Philly puts up 131 against a solid Raptors defense. They win 131 to 111. Philly somehow shoots 50% from three and only 51% from the field, which is wild. Um, They were led by Tyrese Maxey. I mean, what a fucking stud this guy has became since they got rid of um, Ben Simmons. He averaged 8 points a game last year. He's averaging 17.5 this year. He's only 21 motherfucking years old. This is his second year in the league. Um, I mean, all praise to Tyrese, baby. 38 points, 21 shots, 5 of 8 from 3. And Tobias Harris with 26, 6, and 6. People forget Tobias is there. Joel Embiid only had 19 points, 15 rebounds on 15 shots. But they have some big uh, guys like Siakam uh, to defend him. So the Raptors led, were led by Siakam, who had twenty five and seven. Uh, four of the five starters in Toronto with double digits, and the Warriors. Steph Curry's back. He he comes off the bench, um, and you would assume with Steph Curry back in the lineup, they're going to put up points. Uh, much like the Hornets, Denver doesn't know how to play defense very well. Uh, they lose one twenty three to one oh seven in Oakland at the Chase Center Arena, and they were led by J P. Jordan Poole earning a fucking fat payday. He goes for 30 points, 5 of 7 from 3. Straight offense. He's a walking bucket. And Denver is led by Nikola Jokic, who had 25, 10, and 6 on 25 shots, though. Will Barton with 24, 6, and 5 on 18 shots. So uh, struggle offensively for the Nuggets and defensively as well. we move moving into Sunday. We get the, the other half of the playoff bracket. Miami all over Atlanta. This was straight ugly. And I'm not surprised. Are you surprised? You shouldn't be. Miami is a real fucking deal. Uh, Miami was led by Jimmy Butler. Jimmy motherfucking buckets. 21, six, and four. Um, one, two, three. Uh, it wasn't a very high-scoring game, but Jimmy Butler led the way. Miami shot 47.4% from three. And Atlanta was led by Daniel Gallinari. 17 points. Obviously no Clint Capella. Trey Young only got eight points on 12 shots, six turnovers, 0 for 7 from three. A day to forget from Trey Young when he said that the regular season's boring. Was well, losing that game boring? Is that why he didn't do anything other? Because you're so fucking bored? Um, anyways, the Celtics beat the Nets in a fun fucking game. I watched this at a bar before our booze cruise. Uh, the Celtics win 115, 114. KD had a chance to uh, win the game late with the fadeaway three just off. Jason Tatum somehow gets the ball, somehow gets a layup before the buzzer beater, and it was all but over. It's going to be a series, ladies and gents. Um, The Celtics were led by uh, Jason Tatum, who had 31-8, and and Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford all over 20. And it was really the top two guys for Brooklyn, if you're surprised at all. Um... Kyrie Irving with thirty nine six and five and four steals, six of ten from three on twenty shots. He was hooping, hooping. Uh, he was a plus six in the plus minus. Seth Curry held to only um, nine points, one of four from three, and KD had twenty three on twenty four shots, one of five from three. So Kyrie hooped. KD struggled a little bit. Boston's defense prevailed. Then the Bucks win an ugly one against Chicago. The Bucks like to win ugly, but they won in, at home. That's what they do. They won 90, 93 to 86. Milwaukee was led by the Greek freak, who had 27 and 16. And Chicago was led by uh, Nikola Vucevic, who had 24 and 17 on 27 shots. Why Vucevic is putting up 27 shots and 10 threes, you, you know, don't ask me. That wasn't my game plan. But as what well, good of a three point shooter as he is, he was two of 10. I don't want my center shooting 10 threes in a playoff game. And then the nightcap the Pelicans were in the game. All game and Chris Paul said, "You know what? Get the fuck out of here. I'm taking over." And they win one ten to ninety nine. Uh, CP3 had thirty points, seven rebounds, ten assists on sixteen shots. El Capitan and the Pelicans were led by CJ McCollum twenty five eight and six on twenty five shots. Though Brandon Ingram with the day to forget eighteen points on seventeen shots. So uh, game ones are in the book. Let's let's turn the let's turn the calendar to Monday. I'm in the airport all day. Flight delay, fight delay, flight delay. Realized that the only way I could catch the Jazz game is buying internet Wi-Fi on the fucking plane. I had to find a stream because if you have Comcast, you can't watch NBA TV unless it's your own Wi-Fi network. So I'm stressed, right? I'm freaking out. End up watching the game. Kind of wish I didn't, uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. The first game of the day was the Sixers taking a 2-0 lead at home as they should. They beat the Raptors 112-97. to uh, Philly was led by Joel Embiid, who really showed out. 31-11 and 11 on 16 shots. Um, very efficient line. All five starters over double digits. Maxi, another nice game. 23-9-8, and eight, short of a triple-double. Efficient line. Where's that Raptors defense? Uh, OG leading the way for Toronto. OG and Anubi, 26 points on 14 shots. Um, Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam with 20 points apiece siakam on 20 shots van fleet on 23 brutal game for them philly's showing out again a game to forget for the jazz but you split home you know you split on the road it's one one it is what it is mavericks win 110 104 but jalen motherfucking Brunson, man 41 8 and 5 6 of 10 from three on 25 shots they said mitchell you can't stop me and he put up 41 points i'm sick to make it worse, Maxi Kleba. Shooting like shit all year. 8 of 11 from 3. They say you want to put Rudy on Kleba? We getting in your face, we shooting that. The Jazz don't try to play small ball. Um, Hassan Whiteside is the backup center. They do give Hernan Gomez 7 minutes, but no Pascal, no Rudy Gay. So the Jazz have Donovan Mitchell lead the way with 34 points, but it was on 30 shots, 3 of 10 from 3, not very efficient. But Donovan's been chipping in. He had 25 um, Jordan Clarkson's a walking bucket 21 on 11 shots off the bench. I'm a little concerned here. Well, the warriors do what they should like the jazz should have, and they go up 2-0, 126 one Oh six at home. Denver still can't play defense. Uh, JP still a walking bucket 29 and eight on 16 shots. Steph Curry's back, baby 34 points, five of 10 from three that's on 17 shots. He should be ready for the starting lineup. Clay Thompson with a cool 21 as well. It's too easy for the Warriors at this point. Going on to Tuesday, still too easy for Miami. Well, Atlanta hugs all the three-point shooters because they destroyed them game one. They hold the heat to 38.9% from three. But Jimmy Butler said, I'll beat you by myself. He puts up 45, five and five. He's a fucking plus 19 and that's on 25 shots. Oh, and now he's shooting threes. Don't forget about that. He's four of seven from three. Miami's on the way to win this thing. I'm telling y'all. Um Atlanta 25 points led by Trey Young. He had 25 6 and 7, but that was on 20 shots. They shot 30% from 3. Miami's cruising in South Beach. Well, things are interesting, right? Um Minnesota wins game 1. What how do the Grizzlies respond? Well, boy, do they. They smoked the Timberwolves this time 124-96. Carl Anthony Towns, where are you at? You're a superstar. 15 and 11 on 7 shots. Um, They were led by Anthony Edwards, who had 20 points, 6 rebounds, but this time not efficient on 16 shots. And the Grizz were led by John Morant, of course, just shy of a triple-double, 23, 9, and 10. Um, They had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 players in double digits. Um, They hold the Timberwolves to under 29% from (laughs) 3. Nightcap game, Devin Booker gets hurt, and the Suns, you know, as f- f- comfortable as they were, things are getting ugly. They lose to the Pelicans, 125-114. The whole second half is all Pelicans. Brandon Ingram, 37-11-9 on 21 shots. Three of three from three. Sheesh. CJ McCollum, 23-9-8, and eight, just short of a triple-double. Um, the Suns were led by Devin Booker only on 25 minutes. He played 25 minutes, put up 31 shots. You tell me if they're going to miss that or not. Um, four of the other three of the other starters in double digits. CP3 was 17 and 14. Boy, can he dish them out! And then Wednesday. Now, this is where shit's getting interesting. Game two in Boston. How do the Nets do it again? Boston's and Cruz control most of the game. Um, the uh, the Nets are trying to play hero ball two, two ways. Kevin Durant has 27 points on 17 shots, he's one of two from three. Um, uh, that's Bruce, right? Yep. Bruce Brown um, chipping in, doing his best work, 23 and eight. And Kyrie only with 10 points on 13 shots, eight rebounds. He disappears after game one. Goran Drogic's a nice guy off the bench with 18 points on 14 shots. He was one of five of three, though. And the Celtics, all five starters in double digits, seven of eight guys in the rotation in double digits. And they were led by Jalen Brown, 22 points on 18 shots, uh, Tatum had 19 on 16, so neither team shot very efficiently, um, but the Celtics find a way. They hold the the, the Nets to a low score for, in the Nets' regards and only 17 points in the fourth. So what could Toronto do at home? Well, they battle like a motherfucker, and they drop one in overtime. Joel Embiid gets a fadeaway game winner. He, they win 104-101 in Toronto. I'm assuming there was fans there. Let's see. Do Raptors have fans? I forgot to space the S. It said, do Raptors shave? (laughs) Do do Raptors shave? Do Raptors have fans for playoffs? I'd assume so. (laughs) Yep. Cheer on the team during playoff runs. Yep, they got fans. Good thing. That would have been a shame. Well, anyways, Joel Embiid gets 33-13 and um, on 20 shots, shoots efficiently. They take over. Maxie and Harden with 19 apiece. And then the Raptors were led by OG again, who had 26 points. Gary Trent Jr., 24 uh, on 19 shots, 4 of 9 from 3. Precious Ashua with 20 and 6 off the bench. The Raptors are battling close, but down Um, 3-0. You can ride her off. Let's see if the Raptors can win one. So then, uh, somehow uh, Chicago finds a way without Middleton to beat the Bucks, one fourteen to one ten. And it wasn't really somehow. Demar Derozan says, "I'm getting one, boy." He puts up forty-one and seven on thirty-one shots. This guy just fits so good with the team. Um, Vucevic only shoots eight threes this time, but goes four of eight. Uh, he has twenty-four and thirteen. Please tell me why he's shooting so many threes. Zach Levine with 20 points. Their bench doesn't exist. Their bench totals for 10 points across five players. It's not very good. Uh, Milwaukee has 33-18-9 and by Giannis on 20 shots. Uh, Brooke Lopez with 25. Drew Holiday 15-6-6. and um, Milwaukee only shoots 38.9% from three. Giannis 0 for two. I mean, at this point, I don't expect Chicago to really actually win this, even without Middleton. Um I'm more interested to see the Vucevic line every night. Like maybe I got to start watching some of those games and see if that motherfucker keeps shooting damn near ten threes a game. I mean, where in the world do you see that? Maybe Carl Anthony Towns. You don't even see that or expect that from Joel Embiid. So um, that's just something funny I just picked up on going over this with you guys. So you know, sorry if you're like, dude, quit talking about that. But to me, it's very intriguing. I mean, Chicago Bulls doing Chicago Bull things, but they're one one now and they're in Chinatown. So drum roll, please. Sorry, your boy's got to hydrate. My voice is on its last leg right here. All right. Game three in Minnesota. You'd imagine Minnesota's going to go wild. Well, guess what? Minnesota's up 20. And they choke it out. They lose 104 to 95. They hold the Grizz to good numbers, but uh, just, just literally fall off the place of the planet. And the first person he put blame on is Cat. He had eight points, five rebounds on four shots. Like, bruh, Vucevic is shooting more threes than Karl-Anthony Towns is shooting the basketball. Afraid of the moment much? You know, in the press conference, he said, next question. You know, how do you handle this? I go home and drink some wine. Like, could you imagine this being the face of your franchise? I feel sorry for them. Well, D'Angelo Russell puts 22-8 and eight, but on 21 shots in the loss. And Memphis was led by Desmond Bain, who had twenty six and six. He was seven of fifteen from three. Uh, Brandon Clark, a huge difference maker in this game, just wrecking the the Timberwolves defensively. Um, he goes to, for twenty points off the bench. The Grizz don't need to do much. The, the Timberwolves just lost it themselves. And then here we go, game one in Utah. Utah's fans are all the talk all the time. Um, well, guess what? They're booing them by halftime. The Jazz are doing their best tim or. Er, uh, Grizz impression by getting waxed at home. Well, I guess that was in Minnesota on the road. They're getting waxed. You think there might be a, like, the Grizz did a late comeback. They try. They can't figure it out. They do have moments of small ball. They put Eric Paschal in 10 minutes. He has six um, points. He had a huge three. He one of two from three. Still knew, no Ru- Rudy Gay. Um, now it's must win. The Jazz don't win tomorrow. Their season's going to be over. And they're a full-blown Portland Timblet. Tim- uh Jesus. Trailblazer situation. Bye-bye, Rudy or Donovan, and bye-bye, majority of the squad. So uh, we're in Deathcon 5 zone in Utah if you're a Utah fan, and it's a bummer because this is the life of a Jazz fan. Gordon Hayward and the team are good. We always are a second-round team. Nobody ever expects us to win the first round. We, we put up a fight, but we're missing a piece. Well, guess what? Before we could add that piece, Gordon Hayward joins Brad Stevens. You're like, we can't even keep Gordon Hayward? If Utah can't keep Gordon Hayward, they'll never sign a superstar. We're fucked. Somehow Donovan Mitchell becomes a first-round still blossom superstar, perfect face of the franchise. We get the pieces. This is the best team. Rudy Gay was the missing link. You add a couple other players. You get Jared Butler. You get uh, uh, Hassan Whiteside as a, a clone of Gobert off the bench. And this is how you do me? No, Luka Doncic, this is how you do me. Play small ball, figure it out. Play aggressively, but they have to be able to defend better as a team that's so high on defense. And they lose 126 to 118. Um, The Mavericks are led by Brunson again. He had 31 points on 22 shots, although he's 0 of 4 from 3. Six players in double digits. Kleba keeps shooting the ball well. He's 4 of 5 of 3. Bertans, 4 of 7. Uh, So that small ball lineup really doing work. Uh, the Jazz are led by Mitchell, 32 points, a little bit more efficient game, 21 shots, but was one of eight from three. Mike Conley is still trying to get things figured out. Gets warmed up with 21 points. Bogdanovich staying consistent at 24 and six. Uh, Jordan Clarkson has 14 off the bench. Utah's in some dark times. There is a storm cloud all over Salt Lake. We'll see how they respond on Saturday, let alone Monday in Dallas. So yesterday, yesterday, Another big game. We are in uh, Minnesota again, and the Grizzlies find a way to win. Oh, no, I just recapped the same fucking game yesterday. Uh, Final game, the Warriors beating the Nuggets 118-113. You know, this is to go up 3-0. The Nuggets fought as hard as they could, uh, but Steph Curry's back in action. He plays 31 minutes. He gets 27 points, 6 assists on 17 shots. JP's still a bucket, 27 points. Uh, Klay Thompson, 26 points. I'd assume uh, Curry's in the starting lineup next week. And then the Nuggets were led by Nikola Jokic, who had 37 and 18 on 22 shots. Uh, Not much help from the rest of the team besides Aaron Gordon, who had 18 and 12. The Nuggets looking to get swept. So as we look at it, Today, Friday, you have Heat Hawks. I'd assume Miami honestly sweeps these guys. I think they go 3-4 really easily. Uh, Bucks bulls tied 1-1. They play tonight. That's going to be interesting to see how the Bucks can do without Middleton. I expect the Bulls to get another win, not this game. Uh, Maybe this game. But I do expect the Bulls to win at least two games. So that would put the series at six games. Uh, Suns Pelicans, this is really interesting. Can the Pelicans really win without Devin Booker on the Suns? That's a lot of scoring they have to make up for it, and the Suns don't have a lot of pure scorers. They have a lot of role players, which is what makes their team great. This is going to be interesting, but I'm still taking the Suns in six. Saturday, Raptors, Sixers. The Raptors are fighting for their lives. I hope the Raptors get one. This goes five. Um, I would assume the Jazz win at home on Saturday in a must-win uh, but at this point, I'm not confident that the Mavs win. I'm going Mavs in seven. Uh, Celtics-Nets, that's going to be a blast to see how this you know goes in Brooklyn. Does Ben Simmons come back? Um, I'm not sure. But I'm going to go with Celtics in seven. I think the Nets find a way to push it seven. And then Timberwolves-Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are up 2-1. Uh, the Timberwolves have shown flashes, but I can't believe in Cat. If that's your leader, there's problems. I'm going with the Grizzlies in six. It's going to be a fun finish, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a fun finish. As a jazz fan, I'm literally drunk driving, just running into shit. I'm an emotional wreck, man. You guys can, you know, try to make me feel better. Give me some props if the jazz look good, but I'm just hopeless at this point. We're going to jump into Supercross, talk a little MLB and some headlines of NFL to close out the show. Cooper Reb is back for the event for the 450s this week. And uh, it was it was a pretty fun race because uh, Mr. Jet Lawrence comes back from fifteenth down to get on the podium with a third place finish for the 250s. It was an east west showdown. Lots of wrecks. It was a slippery track with some rain in Atlanta. Uh, sadly, in an east west showdown, you want to see Cameron Mcadoo do his thing. It doesn't happen. Well, Jet, you know it's all about Honda and the 250. Um, the, the brothers, you know, one of these guys got to be going up to 450, you'd assume. But Hunter Lawrence stills the show with a first. Christian Craig right there, second. And then Jet somehow finding a way onto the podium. Uh, another guy like Joe Shimoda in fourth. Michael Moseman finished sixth. Austin Fortner, seventh. RJ Hampshire, eighth. Vince Freesey, 13th. Garrett Marchbanks all the way back in 14th. So this is how the points are looking for each respective East West. Um, leading the east, I believe this is, Jet Lawrence first, 169. He's arms and legs ahead of RJ Hampshire, who's second at 122. Cameron McAdoo's only eight back at 114. Him not racing here really affected him as he was in second. On the west, Christian Craig first at 194. Hunter Lawrence second, 171, although he's missed some time. Uh, Michael Moseman third, 158, quite a ways back. Vince Fracy fourth, 127. Joe Shimoda, two-back for the fourth-place finish at 125. And as messy as the 250 was, the 450 was messy as well. Chase Sexton tried to do the best impression of Honda that he could. After leading the race, he wrecks and somehow falls all the way. I don't know if it was 15th or 16th or 14th. He was right in the middle of the teams. Somehow gets all the way back to finish third on the podium as well. But this is all Jason Anderson is trying to, you know, Eliminate the idea of Tomac clinching the point standings early. He gets first. uh, Tomac second. Sexton third. Very impressive. Cooper Webb after missing a week gets fourth. Stewart five. Barsha sixth. Which is interesting because Barsha Stewart right there in the points as well. So the points for the 450. Tomac way ahead and first at 325. Anderson second 272. Barsha third 257. Stewart four back at 253. Uh, that'll be an interesting podium finish. Muskan coming right in there at 5th at 2.45. Chase Sexton quite a ways back at 2.27. And Cooper Webb tied with Sexton at 2.27. This Saturday, tomorrow, Foxborough, Tomac, as long as he finishes ahead of Anderson, is going to clinch the, the championship. Uh, but we'll see how things shake out. See if uh, um, I would love to see Stewart on the podium points-wise. Uh, still, still, lots of fun storylines to go, and another East-West showdown week seventeen coming up. I love those two fifties when everyone, you know, Hunter and Jet get a race. It's fun. Head into the Diamond, the Rockies. I, I really don't understand their game plan, but they're 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 picking and choosing who they want to keep. They're signing Kyle Freeland, five years, sixty-four and a half million. Uh, meanwhile, Jake Arrieta, a true ace from a while ago, uh, retires officially from MLB. Reds fans are stoked as Hunter Green is throwing gas. And I mean gas. Lots of S's there. 39 pitches of 100 miles an hour or higher, which breaks Jacob DeGrom's record. He had thirty-three, six plus more pitches, and the kid is young. Let's see. Hunter Green. 22 years old. This kid throwing gas. Um, if he hasn't had Tommy John, I'd expect it. He's going to need it because that's just too much gas. Don't want to wish that, but as a pitcher, you almost want to have it and get it over with. Miners, they're the testes. Well, they're testing um, uh, the pitch clock. It is shaving 20 minutes off of games. I'm assuming that will enter MLB in the near future. And over the first 132 minor league games, which included the 14-second clock with the bases empty, 18-second clock with runners on and penalties for pitchers and hitters that run afoul of it. The average time was 2 hours, 39 minutes, and a control set. <coughs> Sorry, my voice is fading, guys. Ugh, need to hydrate. One second. <coughs> ah. Woo. <coughs> In a control set of 335 games, run without the clock to begin the season, games lasted 2 hours and 59 minutes. Around the same 3-hour, three 3-minute three average and 5,000-plus non-clock games during the 2021 season. So, pitch clocks have been talked about a long time. Seems to be working. They now have the uh, ability for catchers. they like wearing it on their knee pads now to type in the calls instead of giving the actual signs. Try to avoid sign-stealing speed up place to play. Lots of things happening. Baseball's rejuvenating itself as it should. But <clears throat> before we wrap, <clears throat> sheesh, before we wrap on a ba- uh, with the NFL, let's talk about some of the series that had happened in the standings and MLB early on. Let's see. There was Phillies Marlins that took place this weekend. The Phillies win seven to one on Friday on Saturday. The Phillies win ten to three, and on Sunday the Phillies they lose eleven to three. So they beat the Marlins two to one in a three-game series, showing that they're um, not the worst in the division, but they're off to a slow start. Um, The White Sox take on the Rays, two heavyweights in the AL. Uh, The White Sox beat the Rays three to two on Friday, beat them again three to two on Saturday. And on Sunday, uh, the Rays take it 9-3. to three. So the White Sox best the Rays 2 out of 3 uh, to, to flex on other AL team. Fun divisional game and rivalry here. The Cardinals smoked the Brewers on Friday 10-1. to one. That's crazy. Uh, the Brewers, known for their pitching, giving up 10 runs. The Cardinals win again on Saturday 2-1. to one. And on Sunday... Where are they at? Where are they at? Where are they at? Uh, the Brewers winning six to five. So all teams fighting for sweeps on Sunday. Uh, the the Cardinals win the series two to one, another fun action packed game. I kind of, you know, I was just in San Diego. It's like, why didn't I catch a game? Well, the friend that I was going with knows nothing about baseball. So I didn't do that, but Petco fucking amazing. Seeing all the Padres fans out there. It was fun. Well, the Braves beat them six to five on Friday. I believe that was a showing of their young stud aces. On Saturday, the Braves beat them 5-2. And let me guess, on Sunday, they defended a a sweep. On Sunday, the Padres went 2-1. So all the good series last weekend, teams are fending off the sweep. They got the job done. What sets us up for this weekend, don't forget Apple TV doing Friday Night Baseball. Their doubleheader is Cardinals Reds. For those of you that have Apple TV trying to get into baseball, Rangers Athletics. Not a very good slate on Apple TV. You gotta do better. It's your second week, third week. Come on, Apple. Um, but other than that, the Guardians are playing the Yankees little AL matchup. The Guardians are seven and five, the Yankees seven and six. The NL, there's always some good action here. The Brewers eight and five, taking on the five and eight Phillies. See if the Phillies can get some momentum. The Rays and Red Sox in a big AL East battle. The Rays seven and six. The Red Sox six and seven. Uh, Marlins Braves, Marlins are five and seven Braves six and eight blue Jays Astros, huge heavyweight battle, eight and five blue Jays, six and six Astros. And then Padres Dodgers, nine and five Padres, nine and three Dodgers. I'm guessing that'll be Sunday night baseball. Brewers Phillies, Sunday night baseball. But when we look at the standings, <clears throat> blue Jays leading the AL East, eight and five, you know this AL East is going to be tight as shit the whole season. Blue Jays 8-5, Yankees 7-6, Rays 7-6, Red Sox 6-7. The Guardians leading the Central 7-5. White Sox right there at 6-6. Six six. you Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Let's go! Leading the AL West. Love to see it. Thor's looking good. Uh, hopefully, Trout can stay healthy. Otani with a fucking damn near perfect game the other day. Gas! Well, they're leading the AL West 8-5 somehow. The Athletics, who got rid of everybody, are 8-6. Mariner is seven 7-6. Six. Astros 6-6. Six six, pretty tight AL West. NL East, just like the AL East, it's going to come down to the wire. Mets 10-4. Braves 6-8. Marlins 5-7 somehow. The Nationals 6-9. And, and Phillies 5-8. I, I assume some, some changes there. NL Central, led by the Card, 7-4. Brewers are 8-5. And, and then in the NL West dodgers nine and three somehow the rockies are eight and four padres nine and five giants eight and five that division's smoking but let's finish with some uh headlines in sports in the nfl the browns are browning ladies and gentlemen they signed denzel ward to the most money for a cornerback in history five year 100.5 million dollars with 71 of that guaranteed yes he's a good talent yes he's young, but. That's definitely a Browns thing, if I've ever seen it. <clears throat> Derek Carr gets extended three-year, one hundred twenty-one and a half million dollar deal. The Texans sign cornerback Steven Nelson two-year ten. The Colts get a huge upgrade in their secondary, getting Stephon Gilmore two-year twenty-three million. They definitely paid for him. The Ravens release Miles Boykin, an early draft pick who didn't work out. Well, the Steelers go and claim Miles Boykin. Uh, hope for a you know a career. Um, re- rejuvenation uh, to compete against his fellow AFC North foes. And the Steelers most likely missing out on Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, as they uh, re-sign Terrell Edmonds to a one-year deal. And then Sammy Watkins signing with the Packers, one-year four. Supposedly his final roster spot isn't guaranteed, but I'm sure that the uh, Rodgers likes that. <clears throat> AJ Green re-signing with the Cardinals, one-year Mike Tricio uh Tirico is going to take over Al Michaels' play-by-play duties for Sunday night football. So it's going to be uh Mike and Al. No, excuse me. Uh Mike and Jesus. My brain's dead, guys. I'm sorry. Uh Chris Collinsworth. Al Michaels uh you know, it's going to be weird. It's like a bunch of new like guys who've been at the same program forever on different programs. Now you got Amazon, the the Fox crew is now the Monday Night crew. It's going to be fucking weird. The XFL's going. They got Bob Stoops, Hines Ward, and Wade Phillips to coach. Talk about headlines. The Rock putting out the big names for coaches. Love seeing Hines Ward in there. Uh, Debo Samuel requests a trade from 49ers in a massive shock. The Jets, Lions, and Packers are the favorites. Uh, Sorry, Debo, but if you request a trade and go to the Jets and Lions, um, sorry, not sorry. Uh, Supposedly... (laughs) <clears throat> rightfully so. You know, he's worried about being a running back a receiver. That's hard on the body, and you need to get paid to do so. Brady doing Brady-like things. He restructures his contract to save the Bucks $9 million, and that's why his teams continue to win. He saves his team money. Other than that, JT Daniels transferring to West Virginia, going to the Big 12. That'll be interesting. Uh, what a tough college career JT's had. He was very hyped up coming out of high school. Um, the match is back June 1st. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, and Josh Allen. TNT's trying to get them ratings. And out of nowhere, you talk about a bummer losing the Final Four, having your second best scorer out as a Nova fan. Well, Jay Wright retires. Uh, Kyle Neptune from Fordham is taking over at Nova at 37 years old. He was an assistant under Jay for like seven or eight years. It's tough to see guys like that go. Coach K's gone. He's gone. He could have been the face of college basketball. But when it's time, it's time. Jay, motherfucking right. I've read your book. You're a hero. What a career. Literally brought Villanova to a blue blood. Kyle, big shoes to fill. And finally, the natural selection, Alaska, finally took place. Uh, Travis Rice winning the whole natural selection. Hannah Beeman, two older competitors, Alaska was a dream. The production was great. The snow was great. Some of the fucking lines these guys picked. Ben Ferguson going ham. Um, you know, uh, just a lot of good competition. Um, the championship ended up having like whiteout conditions, which was a bummer the next day. But if you're a snowboarding fan, check out the natural selection every year. They're doing a big thing. They got NFTs going now. Just that production of the thought and concept. Travis Rice, natural selection crew. Bravo. Bravo. I get my last skiing day in this Sunday. The ski season's extended a little bit. Um, but what a fucking dope production. I just, I love it. You know, I'm a nerd about it on that. That's episode 70 motherfucking nine. We moving. Um, excited to be healthy next week. Apologize for the sniffles and things that got going on again. Check out field supplements. You want some lifting swag. You want to go in the gym with the varsity Jersey, you know, fucking get some pump. You need some pre-workout to get that pump. You need some vitamins so you don't get sick. You need some athletic greens. Whatever the fuck you need, fueledsupplements.com. I'm telling y'all, save some money when doing it. Buckets, promotion code buckets, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. See y'all next week.